it is so wonderful. It is so powerful. Jesus, your name is the only name that can save. Your name is the only name that can rescue. Your name is the only name that can heal. Your name is the only name that can comfort. And so Jesus, we just, we just cling to your name. That beautiful and wonderful and power name, powerful name. The name that is above all names. So Jesus, would you write your name on our hearts and on our minds as we continue to, to worship Jesus more through, through your word? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to embrace and minds to critically think just how wonderful and beautiful and powerful the name of Jesus is? It's the only name. It's the only name that's worth gathering for. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, and we're getting really close to the end of our series called Storyline. And what we've been doing uh, really all year uh, is we've been looking at this thread of a story that runs through the whole Bible that points us to Jesus. I mean, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, it's story after story, chapter after chapter, uh, page after page that just point us to Jesus. And now we're in the New Testament part of our story and we're, uh, we're, it's all about Jesus. And the reason why we've been doing this series all year long is because back in January, our goal was to raise everyone's biblical literacy. And uh, that we wanted, uh, we wanted every, all of us to, uh, to know more about who, who God is and know more about this life that, uh, that Jesus is calling us to uh, as his followers. And so that's why we're doing this series. That's why we've been going through hitting this 30,000 foot view uh, of these stories and, and connecting them together. And this morning, we're going to talk about the Christian conversion of Saul. Uh, now, we're not talking about King Saul from the Old Testament, okay? We talked about him way back when. Um, but we're talking about Saul in the New Testament, uh, who would become, after his conversion, known as Paul, who would plant a lot of churches in the region and also write much of the New Testament. And so that's who we're talking about this morning. Now, a, a convert, okay, is is someone who has, had their, who has had their belief system changed, okay? And not just changed, but probably uh, pretty radically changed. And, and Christians are people who have been converted by the power of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now in this early century church, these first century Christians, they, they didn't just sign up to be a Christian, Okay. Uh, they didn't just sign up to attend a worship service. They didn't just sign up to be part of a club, but they were converted. And, and Christian conversion is the most profound change that someone could experience. I mean, just, just think about it. A, a person being converted to Christianity, that person goes from, in an instant, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they go from being spiritually dead, okay, to being spiritually alive, they go from being an 
enemy of God to an adopted son or daughter of God. They go from being condemned because of their sin and disobedience to being forgiven and accepted through the work of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection. All because they put their faith in him and it happens in an instant. And so the Christian conversion is the most profound change that someone could experience in their life. So let me just kind of ask you as we get ready, as we set the table for this morning, have you been converted? Have you been converted to the point that, that you profoundly see things different? That, that, you, that you see it changes that your conversion to Christ, to Christianity, has changed the way that you think about things. That it's changed the way that you see people. It's changed the way that you serve people. It changes the way that you see money. It changes the way that you, you, you view eternity. It changes the way that, that you view uh, sin. It changes the way that you view yourself. And have you and I, have we been converted? Now, now, I get it. In a, in, in a room this size, there may be some people here that, that, that think, well, you know, preacher, I didn't really come here to be converted. And, and, and if that's you, number one, I'm so glad that you're here on this Sunday. And number two, Saul didn't plan on being converted either, but then he went and started a bunch of churches. So... Just putting that out there. We may have our next church planner in the room right here. Um, there's other of us that we were converted, but, but we're not living in a way that gives Jesus Christ free reign in every area of our lives. And then there might be others here that they just don't know where, you just don't know where you stand on the topic. But the bottom line of today and really all of life comes down to have you and I been converted by the freeing power of the gospel through faith in Jesus and faith alone in that name. So uh, three things that we see this morning in, in the text, three life-altering realities is that we, we see a life-altering collision, a life-altering question, and a life-altering calling, okay? So a collision, a question, and a calling is what we're going to see this morning. If you brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 9 this morning is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring your Bibles, you can pull it up on your phone or you can, uh, or we'll throw it up on the screen for you. But Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And we're going to look at these life-altering collision question and calling in all of our lives. So let's talk about this collision first, okay? So... Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, let's talk about Saul for a moment, okay? Saul is, is a Jew, and not only is he a Jew, but he's a Pharisee, which meant that he was an expert in the law. Like the Jewish leaders that throughout the years they had established, you know, God gave them the Ten Commandments. But then on top of the Ten Commandments, the Jewish leaders said, hey, let's, let's, let's come up with 600 other Old Testament laws to help us not break the Ten Commandments that, that God has given us. And Saul, uh, with all of his heart and all of his life, zealously kept all 600 laws as the best he can. 
as the best he could. So Saul was a, I mean, he was, he was a religious do-it-all of the day. Um, he, was, uh, he was a lawyer. Uh, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he was also a persecutor of the church. Like if you flip back to Acts chapter 6, Saul oversees the execution of Stephen, who was one of the leaders of the early church. And so that, this is who Saul was. And Saul, he, he was as religious and as moral as a person could get. He was as religious and as moral as a person could get. And yet he still needed to be converted. As good as he was, as great as he was, even his best performance on his best day was not good enough. And he was really good by anybody's standards. So it doesn't matter how good we are. Our good is not good enough. Now, some people would also say, yeah, yeah, okay, let's set that aside. But as long as you believe with all your heart in something, then, then that will you know, help you to God. That kind of all paths lead to God, but whatever you choose, you have to believe it with all your heart. Okay, well, to counter that, uh, Saul, he believed with all his heart that, that anything to do with Jesus, anything to do with Christianity, and anything to do with the church needed to be exterminated. So now what? Matthew 18, Jesus says, unless you've been converted and become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says that everyone has to be converted and Saul falls under the umbrella of everyone. And guess who else follow, falls under that umbrella of everyone? Us, thank you. Every single one of us. In fact, it goes beyond that. Every single person on the planet falls under the umbrella of needing to be converted, needing to have our mind and our belief system changed. Okay, so let's go back to verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, um, that, that was the early church, that's what they called Christians, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So, so Saul, he, he wanted to bring Christianity and the church to an end. That he wanted to destroy everything that had anything to do with Jesus. And he, and he had the authority to do it. He had the authority of the religious leaders uh, to do it. He had the names of families that belonged to the synagogue. So if he went to Damascus and he found anyone belonging to the early church, anyone professing to be a Christ follower, anyone who belonging to the way, he had the authority to detain them, to, to arrest them, to harass them, to torture them, and to even execute them like he did Stephen in Acts chapter 6. So Saul, he had no intention of being converted. He had no intention of having his mind changed. He had no intention of stopping persecuting the church, anything short of complete and total extinction. But Jesus had other plans. Verse 3. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven 
flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So, so Saul, he, he's on his way to Damascus, okay? And he's on his way there to, to put an end to this so-called thing called the church and Christianity. And uh, all of a sudden this light flashes and he falls to the ground and he hears this voice of Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus says in Matthew 25, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so Saul, right there, out of the middle of nowhere, has this life collision, this life-altering collision with God. So let me ask you, have you ever had a life-altering collision with the power of God? Now, your, your story may not look anything like Saul's. But have you had a collision with the gospel? And and for me, it it came when I was 10 years old. I was at kids camp. And the preacher talked about this friend that we have in Jesus. This friend that sticks closer than a brother. This friend that willingly laid down his life to pay for my sin debt. And and the best way I knew how as a 10-year-old, I knew that I had sin and I wanted that. Now, at 10 years old, it didn't radically transform my life. But it gave me a basis, a foundation that where, you know, seven years later when I was 17 and a junior in high school, my life was radically changed because I was starting to see and be taught by, by my pastor and my youth minister that, uh, that living a life to follow Jesus is like living a life of worship. It's everything. It involves everything that I am and everything that I do. So what is your story? Have you had a life-altering encounter? And it may not be a bright light and a booming voice. But have you had that collision? So Saul has this life-altering collision. Then we have this life-altering question. So in Saul, he's knocked to the ground. He sees this bright light. And uh, he, he hears this voice. This is, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, Saul asked in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Now, now that, that's, a, that's a really good question, and it's a question that all of us must answer. That we have to answer the question of who is Jesus. And to ignore that, ignore that question now is to answer for it for all eternity. That the Bible teaches that there are two eternal destinations, two forever destinations. Is One is reserved for those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Who have decided, you know what, they're going to go at it on their own and trust in their own performance to make up for their sin. And that place is called hell. And the Bible describes it as a place of being completely separated from God and all of his goodness and in being eternal torment. But there's another place. A forever destination that's reserved for those who have put their faith in Jesus. Who realize that even on our best day, we're not good enough to gain access into the presence of holy God. And that for those who have put their faith in Jesus, they have eternity in heaven. Now next week, we're going to talk about heaven and what that looks like and get a glimpse of heaven. But... uh, But those are the two forever destinations. And we have to answer the question now is who is Jesus? And so who is Jesus to you? I mean, is he a helper? You know, that helps you when you kind of get in a jam and you need 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 somebody to fix it for you. 
Is, is Jesus a, uh, you know, for some of us, maybe he's a good luck charm. We got a big event or a big game or a big deal and, you know, we need a little, little bit of luck. For some of us, that Jesus may be a, uh, a genie in a bottle and, you know, he's, he's somebody that we throw our wishes to and I wish for this and I wish for that and wish for this and, 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 and so he's nothing more than a genie. Maybe Jesus, we see Jesus as a killjoy. And, you know, every, every time we turn around, we feel like he's just killing all the fun and bringing the party down. Is he just, a, you know, somebody who has some good advice? Who is Jesus to you? Is he Savior? Is he Lord of our lives? We have to ask and answer that question. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You want a prayer that, that Jesus will answer 100% of the time is when we pray, Jesus, show me who you are. Talk about firing up heaven. Is when we pray, Jesus, will you show me who you are? And the number one way, best way to get to know who Jesus is, is start reading the Bible. Because guess what? It's all about him. If you don't know where to start, you say, well, I tried to read the Bible and I got to this uh, book called Leviticus. And I just, I mean, it, it, it was the cure for insomnia. <laughs> well, maybe start in a different place. Maybe start in John. John chapter one, and as you read the words and about Jesus's life, you just pray every day, Jesus, as I read about you, would you show me who you are? I'd encourage you to maybe get with some friends and say, hey, I, I, I know very little about the Bible. And so I don't think anyone knows everything about the Bible. And so could we get together and could we just read the Bible and ask each other questions and, and figure this thing out or join a Bible study? I mean, men, we've got this Bible study at 6.30 on, Sunday, on, on Wednesday mornings from 6.30 to 7.20. All we do is read and study the Bible. Just come, grab your coffee. I promise you we're out by 7.20. And we're just learning together this life that Jesus calls us to. So, so ask Jesus to show you who he is. So verse five says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he said. Now get up. And go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if I've been on my way to persecute some Christians and this light appears and it knocks me down, either knocks me off my horse or knocks me to my knees and I hear this booming voice, I'm going to do what this voice tells me to do. I'm just going to do what this voice tells me to do. And so we see that uh, there's some lingering effects to this, this collision that uh, Saul has. Verse 7 says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could not, he could, he, he, when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into, into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. So here you have big, bad, powerful, strong, authoritative Saul on his way to put an end to the church in Damascus. And now he's being led by the hand. He is blind and he is powerless and helpless. And he's being led 
to Damascus. Now, notice that Saul did not approach God on Saul's terms. Saul did not go to God and say, okay, God, I'll I'll make you a deal. You have this area of my life and I'm gonna keep these areas of my life. But that's kind of what we try to do. We try to keep God at arm's length so that we stay in control. Say, God, I'll give you this area and I'll give you this area, but don't touch this area right here. Because we don't want God messing with our lives. But here's the deal. God doesn't need our permission. And if we think back about the times that God has gotten our attention, or maybe the times that God has gotten other people's attention, we'll see that, uh, that God is as gentle as he can be, but as harsh as he has to be. And really, that's a great prayer to pray for our teenagers you know, that, are, that are just... If you have a teenager or you have an adult, uh, you know, an adult kid that are just, they're, they're rebelling against God. I mean, a great prayer to pray as a parent is, this, God, would you get a hold of their heart and would you be as gentle as you can be, but as harsh as you have to be to get their attention, to draw them to you? And so who is Jesus to you? Because we have to answer that question. And then last, we have this life-altering Calling. Look at verse 10. It said, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, said, Ananias. And Ananias answered, What are those two words? Yes, Lord. Say, the, say those two words again. Yes, Lord. That's really about the only answer we should give God ever. Is yes, Lord. So the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. I mean, look how specific God is here. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I, I, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In, in other words, you know, the Lord tells Ananias to go and find Saul. And Ananias is like, are you sure about that? I, I mean, I've heard about this Saul dude and, and I've heard about what all the authority he has. And I've heard about what he has the authority to do. And, and I heard what he did to our brother Stephen. Uh, and, and, and so are you sure you have the right guy? I mean, are you sure you want me to go pray for th- this guy? I mean, I, I mean, maybe I should go beat him up, take a couple of friends with us. You sure, you sure, are you sure you have the right guy? And so Ananias, he ends up going to Saul. He says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias, he goes to Saul. He shares with Saul. He prays for Saul. And not only does Saul regain his sight, 
but he also puts his faith in Jesus and he's baptized. Now, let me ask you. Here we see somebody receiving the power of the gospel, Saul, and we see somebody participating in the power of the gospel, Ananias. Who do you think was more scared? Who do you think was more scared? Saul, who who knew he had done all these things, all this harm, all this cruelty to to, to Christians, and now he's met Jesus. He has seen, he's seen the light, and, uh, and he's heard the voice, and now he's blind. Or do you think it was Ananias who was told to go and be in the same room with this guy who killed Stephen? Who do you think was more scared? See, God didn't tell. And watch, listen, don't, don't miss this. God didn't tell Ananias to go convert or convince or persuade or win over Saul. The Lord said to Ananias, all I'm asking you to do is participate in the power of the gospel. I'm just asking you to go and share and pray that the Lord said to Ananias, I've already met Saul, I've already called Saul. I've already challenged Saul. I've already convicted Saul. I've already chained Saul. I've already stopped and blinded and broken. I've I've already done all the work here, Ananias. I just need you to trust in the power of the gospel and go share who is Jesus to you and pray for Saul. And you know what? You and I have the same calling in our lives. And so I close with this. And as the band comes, and last week, and Rob challenged us to see people not as scenery or machinery, but as ministry. And who, so who has God placed around you that you could begin to pray for and perhaps go share with? Who has God placed around you in your everyday life, in your everyday routine, and that, that, that you can just begin to pray for? And that you might have an opportunity to share. Because it's not just about being really nice to people, and it's not just about our actions, but it's also our words, because our words give clarity to our actions. And listen, I know it's awkward, and I know it's scary. But how do you think Ananias felt? So, let's lock arms together, shall we? And let's let's begin to pray for people in our lives. And let's begin willing to share. And so one way we're going to lock arms is uh, in December 1st, we got Tavern Carols coming up. And uh, that is a great way. You say, oh man, are you already talking Christmas? Are you serious, Christmas? And we just celebrated Halloween this past week. And you're talking Christmas? Anybody already put up their tree, by the way? Anybody want to confess? Okay. Uh, I did too. I put up my tree this weekend. Um, And my daughter surprised us. We didn't think we were going to see her until Thanksgiving. She walks in on Friday night. And she's like, let's put up the tree. And uh, we're like, yes. 
so now so we decorated the tree and then we got new light we got new bulbs and switched out the colors we didn't like it so we took all that down we put the old ornaments back on so we decorated the same tree three times this weekend so we're in the Christmas spirit but Taryn Carroll's is coming up we've got invite cards for you and can we grab two or three or five or a hundred of these how many you need and you start inviting people because that night the gospel is going to be shared through music and it's going to be shared through words and we start praying for those people now guess what? I mean, if, if, if you say, well, is it too early? No, it's not too early because you know, December just fills up and it gets busy. So let's get Tyron Carol's is the first thing on people's calendar to bring in Christmas. And let's not wait till the week of to ask. Let's ask them now. And let's get that going because the latest studies show that people are more apt to receive and respond to an invitation to attend church during Christmas over Easter. So let's leverage that. Let's begin praying. And, and maybe our prayer team would love to pray with you and for you. So you just write down some names of people that you're going to be inviting that need to know about Jesus that don't go to church anywhere. You write those on the prayer request cards. You turn those in. And our, our prayer team is going to pray for those people every day between now and December 1st. That the power of the gospel, that somebody would receive the power of the gospel this year. And that you and I get to participate in it. So we'll have these for you as you walk out today. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much.